why so much of adult life is actually unlearning the things that you think or that you thought. So much of life is unlearning. That's what 20s and 30s are for most people. When they truly come into who they are, figure out what core philosophy and principles they want to live by. And hopefully, it means shedding a lot of those bad ideas, those dogma, those things that were basically infected into the brain through analogy or through people or through old paradigms. In our constantly changing environment, where more information every day is released into the wild than like the last hundred years combined. The ability to think openly, to think for yourself, to not accept what somebody on TV or even your friends or your family, your parents or your siblings tell you, even if you think they know more than you or they've done their research or whatever, independent critical thought leads to unlearning most things. Because unfortunately, for whatever reason, for a lot of reasons, the status quo is always dumbed down. It's always watered down. And in a lot of cases, it's actually blatantly wrong. Nutrition science, medical science, a lot of what's going on in 2020 and 2021. Some of these things run real deep. And to even get to the truth, you got to dig below the status quo. You got to really dig because that status quo is locked up tight. It's layers and layers and layers built on top of misinformation and subtle lies and subtle misattributions, subtle statistics, anomalies, these different things that over time calcify into a status quo belief that is actually very far from truth. So you have to learn to unlearn as Benjamin Disraeli has here. Learn to unlearn. It's a skill. Unlearning is a skill. Here's another quote. I've spent most of my life on learning things that were proved not to be true. Buckminster Fuller. Buckminster Fuller. Buckminster Fuller. All of us who are worth anything spend our manhood in unlearning the follies or expiating, expiating, expiting. Yeah. So if you went to college or school, you have a whole lot of work ahead of you. Or hopefully you're already on that journey. Because finding truth, becoming an independent person, becoming an adult, you're going to have to unlearn things. You're going to have to unlearn a lot of things. To what extent you take that is going to be directly correlate to the results, the happiness, the fulfillment that you have in life. The smartest people I've met spent most of their 20s and 30s unlearning the drivel they learned in school. The modern education system, including higher education, is very much propaganda-laden. It's very connected to curriculums that state and governments approve, audit, edit, whatever, and over years and years have become this thing that is accepted knowledge. And they're not really prone to change or be updated, which is why a kid with a phone can go on YouTube and learn more and actual practical real-world skills also learn what history is, learn how things actually unfolded rather than what's written in some textbook. And he can do that in a fraction of the time that it takes for a modern education system to teach him or her. And the 20 plus years it takes for ideas to get updated once we discover truth outside the education system, or in the case of something like nutrition science, where every single day more information comes out showing how broken what they still recommend. Low calorie, it's all about energy balance, like eat low fat, carbs are the base, grains are good for you, animal products should be avoided or reduced. They still teach that crap. That's why it's so hard for people, because if you don't have the skill of unlearning, 
You can't listen to a doctor tell you all these nutrition myths and then think for yourself like, oh, well, maybe I should read a book or what if this doctor doesn't know what he or she's talking about? It's really hard to even have the awareness to ask that question and then asking that question and then venturing down that rabbit hole to figure it out. You know, that's a huge proposition for most people and most people don't do it. Now, here's the thing. If you have a degree, milk it. If you went to college, if you didn't, whatever, milk it. You want to milk whatever assets you have for whatever they're worth and then let it go where it needs to be let go. So if you went to college and you have a bunch of really bad ideas that your professors and your left-leaning, liberal-leaning ideology of whatever that institution was and the people there, the students, whatever, if you have to unlearn all those bad ideas to find truth, then that's what you have to do. Uh, but like I said, use what you can use. If your degree is nothing more than something that gets you a job, then use it. You don't have to use the information that was given to you, right? You have to do like Bruce Lee said, absorb what is useful, discard the rest, and then add what is uniquely your own. That's what you should do with everything, really. This idea that some government, some fi figure, some professor, some school, some curriculum is the end-all be-all that has access to truth and that is then conveying that truth to you could not be further from the truth. That's not how this, this stuff works at all. I mean, go back 100 years, look what they were teaching universities about the human body, about sex, about women, women's rights, about men, whatever. Like, you wanna see a bunch of really bad information? Go look at what universities and the intelligentsia were teaching and talking about. And this is true of every epoch in human history. Ideas get updated, status quo gets updated. Usually it's a very long process. And it's there's a principle even in science, which you wouldn't ex suspect it to be there. Planck's principle basically is summarized to mean that science advances with every scientist that dies. Basically, what he ascertained was that science only advances when the current incumbent scientists and the current status quo of in science, right, which is supposed to be something that's about truth, not about ideas and beliefs, but humans are humans. Scientific progress happens one funeral at a time. I think that's kind of the quip he used. The current paradigm of scientists have to die out so that the new younger scientists the, you know, that will rebel, that want to make their mark, will be open to new ideas and they'll latch onto things. And then that will happen again as more information comes out. And what you can find through the history of science is that 99% of scientists, 99% of the time, were wrong. It's always those few revolutionaries. Like Einstein was an outcast. He couldn't even get a professorship job. His professors hated him. He didn't play nicely, whatever. Like every, Newton, same thing, very antisocial. Most of the groundbreakers were people that were outside the system because those that were in the system that did well in the system were those that thought like the system and thought in ways that propped up the system. Those that were seeking truth, though, in the time of the Catholic Church, right? The Galileos of the world, the Aristotles, etc. Oh, I mean, Aristotle might not be a good example for various reasons, but those that move humanity forward are always the iconoclast. They're always the ones that think differently, that think uniquely, and that challenge the status quo. This is just the reality of progress. This is the reality of human nature and how we have these different cycles based on a lot of times like 21-year cycles as in the fourth turning, which if you think about it, it's kind of like how long it takes to go from baby to adult and then young adult comes in the world and 
has all these ideas and maybe is stubborn or whatever, and you have these different cycles where the old generation is always fighting the young. The old generation wants to keep things the same. The old generation protects the status quo. The young come up and are like, no, we have a better way. We want to do this. We want to try that. We want to experiment. If you have student debt, pay it off fast as you can. You know, do, use your degree or whatever you got from any schooling. Use whatever is useful and discard the rest. This is hard though, because you might have to discard your entire liberal education. It just, it is what it is. We don't need to get into the history of why that is, but most universities and most of what is taught today, now it's even infecting elementary and middle school and all this craziness is very liberal leaning. And a lot of it is not based on science. A lot of social sciences have been basically created out of thin air. They're not science at all because science is based on falsibility. You have to be able to prove something is wrong. And all these soft sciences, as they're called, you can't really prove them wrong. They're just like theories about observational data, like sociologists look at things that happen and then make an opinion about them. But where can we put that in a lab? Where can we experiment that? Where can we prove this idea is wrong or right? If you can't prove something is wrong, you can't prove something is right. The basis of all science is being able to falsify something. Again, that was Planck. Planck's, uh, I think it was Planck or Popper. Popper came up with the idea of falsibility. And I think Planck might've been a student of Popper or they were influenced in some way or colleagues. But again, like you don't hear this stuff in universities or school or anything. Like they're not talking about the rebels that much. They might like highlight Einstein. They might talk about like his contributions, but they don't talk about all the scientists around him at the time that criticized him and you know, like he couldn't get a professorship job and the entire machine at the time was very anti-Einstein in his views. Like at the time, Einstein was not a rock star. And now most people think of him because uh, history and branding, or whatever, is probably one of the smartest people to ever live. And even though he really wasn't, he had really, really good idea experiments in his mind that he did on this one problem. And he stuck with that one problem, you know, light and speed and relativity. And he just stuck on that for most of his adult life. Very few people are willing to do that. Very few people become obsessed enough to reach that. And yes, obviously he was very smart, but you know, it's just one of those things like the perception, uh, the status quo narrative that is perpetuated is always leaving out a ton of nuance. And then it gets bastardized and it gets used politically. And then there's a narrative around it, whatever. And it's true of anything like capitalism being bad, free markets being bad, you know, tax are rich, all these really bad ideas are, it's crazy. They're actually counterintuitive. I'm going to give you one example on this. Okay. But basically what I'm, what I'm telling you to do here is I'm telling you to find truth in everything. You have to go deep into these topics. You have to do your own independent research, history, law, nutrition, science, research, government, natural law, human rights, money, marriage, sex, relationships, human nature, human psychology, evolutionary biology, evolutionary psychology. All these things are going to have kind of a veneer of status quo narrative. Get rid of all that. Start from the bottom. What are the first principles you know for sure? and then build up from there. And when you do that, you find that most of that status quo veneer is complete and utter horse shit. But I'm gonna give you an example of that and I'm gonna give you free resources that you can do to start on your own down this path of thinking for yourself, of unlearning, of becoming a first principles thinker. Okay, so my example here is, well, there's a couple, I was gonna do nutrition, but actually that's not exactly what I was thinking about. Well, sorry, because I completely, lost track of the idea I was going to use as an example. I could use nutrition. I think I already did talk about that. Um, 
relationships, marriage, the origin of marriage, which is based on personal property rights. The creation of marriage is a civilization, a personal property-based creation that was meant before we had pregnancy tests to give men a ability to know who their offspring were so that he could pass down his property to his own kin, right? What that means is in a time when a woman could sleep with multiple people and you would not know who the actual heir is because there's no trackability, man, men with property had a problem with this. They didn't want to pass on their fortune, their estate, their farm, their land, their home, their resources to someone else, someone else's child. This is a big problem. And this is where the invention of personal property came around. This is a byproduct of personal property because before this, we were nomadic hunter-gatherers and we lived in group settings. But the individual and the ability to, to have resources in your own property, this became a real concern. Now, people think that women don't cheat, which that's just a complete lie. I don't even get into the numbers around that. In fact, I believe some of the numbers suggest that women actually cheat more than men, surprisingly. Personal property came first, then men being dominant, stronger, and for you know various reasons, they were able to dominate women. It's kind of led to all these different things. It led to hierarchy. It led to you know women taking a backseat basically and not really having rights. And it's all it was all centered around power and control, power to control who this woman has sex with, so that the man can then know who his children are because then if she doesn't have sex with anybody else he knows that those children are his and then he can pass on his legacy i mean look at kings and queens they always made a big deal about the heir apparent and like having a firstborn son was like the end all be all and if a king couldn't do that or even a lot of times if a a woman couldn't do that she was thought to be like barren or not ideal or whatever it was a really big black mark on a royal family or nobility if you couldn't produce an heir which was a boy so there's a massive amount of history behind this. There's a massive amount of anthropology and biology and psychology, uh, but most of marriage, but marriage itself is a modern invention. And then that leads into the idea of monogamy, right? Because monogamy and marriage go hand in hand because again, it was a it was a method to control who women had sex with. Like period, full stop. Marriage was created to control women. <laughs> What's funny about that is you ask the average woman that believes in marriage, you know, whatever that means, right? She would probably defend it vehemently if she's a type to think of like fairy tales and, and like, you know, the Disney narrowed, the Disney narr the Disney idea of like happily ever after and whatever. You have a lot of women that will strongly defend marriage, even though marriage was actually a form of control to take away women's rights, specifically the right to choose her sexual partners. And what you see a lot of this is as men controlled and wielded this power, they would then go off and sleep with whoever they wanted, but the women couldn't, right? But I just find it so ironic that most of the narratives, most of the status quo in the world today, for example, taxing the rich, free markets, capitalism. In fact, I want to talk about that before I let you go. Most of these narratives are actually the opposite of what those perpetuating the narrative think it is or like what they're trying to accomplish. It's usually antithetical to that. So let me give you an example of this idea of capitalism, taxing the rich, whatever. So I'm a free market. You could probably say libertarian, maybe even anarchist. I believe that government, if it does exist, should be very, very, very small. And it should be there primarily to enforce personal property rights because then the free market will take care of the rest, okay? America has created more wealth and prosperity and freedom for more humans than anything since the dawn of civilization. 
because we've had a mostly free market, plus obviously the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, which primarily was focused on person on protecting personal property rights. So it's all connected. When you understand these things, you see how they're all connected. Communism has killed millions and millions and millions of people. It was an idea that was supposed to be about utopia and about sharing resources, but it doesn't work because why? Because human nature, period, full stop. Like you don't even need to go beyond that. Same thing with socialism. Socialism is taking resources from one, giving to another, and then who determines who gets what? Well, some politician and then voters vote for that politician and it becomes mob rule and it doesn't work. It breaks down. And what you have in socialist countries today for example, compared to something like America, where you have a lot of free markets in something like medicine, well, people fly from Europe or Canada to go to America to get a doctor that they can pay for because the free market has produced a better doctor, better care, better service, etc. You go to a place where it's socialized, where medicine is free healthcare for all, for all, and people don't want that healthcare, right? Because it's a, you know, it's moral hazard. It's a tragedy of the commons. It's all these different things. Free markets produce the best products and services for humans. And what that does is, that brings more prosperity, more freedom of choice, more straight up freedom period than anything else that a government can ever do through force of violence. Because that's all what governments do when they disperse resources. They take one from one using violence, saying, if you don't pay your taxes, I throw you in jail, that's violence. They give it to another saying, you're in need because you have less or whatever. And then there's no free market mechanisms to make sure products and services are good. And then people end up not even wanting them. So this idea that you go live in like, uh, Europe and people compare it and say, well, they have free college and free healthcare, whatever. Okay. That's great. But it sucks. Nobody wants it. <laughs> you see like th th this idea that government should just give things away freely. And then there's no mechanism because they'll keep paying for them, keep funding them. Nobody will basically say, it's not good. I don't want to go or whatever. I mean, I guess some people will, but some people will always take it and it'll just become this basically shit show that is offered. And people hail it as a success when it doesn't actually do what it's supposed to do. People don't really want that treatment. They don't really want that education because it's not based on reality or effectiveness or, you know, surviving and thriving in the real world. Free markets promote freedom for the individual, sovereignty, freedom of choice, and the best products and services that individuals can use to pursue happiness. The free market does it than any government will ever do it because it is free individuals engaging in commerce. And that's all it is. It's like the basics. You just let that do its thing. And if a company doesn't provide a good service or product, people will stop buying it. It will go out of business. But in America today, that doesn't happen because now banks and companies are too big to fail. So they can take ever increasing risks. They socialize the losses, meaning taxpayers pay for it. And there's no incentive for them to improve. That's why the banking industry is just terrible. That's why the airline industry is just terrible. When you remove free markets and competition, and you come in with government interventions and regulations and all these different things, you make it worse for the consumer. And thus you suppress freedom of expression, freedom of choice. You express, you suppress humanity. So those that talk about taxing the rich and paying their fair share, well, let me tell you something real quick. The top 10% of tax earners, the top 10% of wealthy in America pay like 70 plus percent of all the taxes. So when you say, the rich should pay their fair share. What is their fair share? Is that like 90%? Is it 99%? Like it just, it's so illogical when you look at the numbers and it makes no sense, the entire narrative and the entire idea. And then even more so this idea that the rich got there because they stole from someone else. Now in some countries, that's true. In Russia and China, where you have currency controls and you have, you know, government intervention, you basically have fascism. Like, yes, some people can make billions because they cozy up to their political 
friends and they give them, you know, monopolies and they monetize them and they can rig price, prices and there's all these things that can happen. Absolutely. But in America, most, especially the billionaires today, did so because in a free market, they provided products and services that customers want. And then they became billionaires as a result, which means they gave people what they wanted so people could use their products and services to improve their lives and pursue happiness their own way. And as a result, they got rich as they should, as they should. And then they still pay a ridiculous amount of taxes. And the companies they create pay even more taxes and they create jobs and do all these other things. This idea that it's just been going on for a long time because Ayn Rand talked about this a lot back in the 60s and 70s. This idea of like corporations being bad and this and that. Now I will say some corporations do do some shady shit and we do have kind of a cor corporate theocracy and we have this corporate, uh, maybe the word is, we have crony corporatism, crony capitalism, where governments basically pay politicians to write laws that benefit them. And that, as it goes, when governments intervene in markets, it makes products and services worse. It stifles competition and it makes society worse for everybody. Government is always the linchpin for a worse world. It always is. It always contributes to, to a worse world. So this idea that people have about taxing the rich and having governments intervene and do all these things, they think that it's going to make a better world, but it actually makes a worse world. It's really fascinating when you understand these things, when you study history, when you look at the rise and fall of civilizations and tyrants and dictatorships and different forms of government, when you look at the unprecedented prosperity that America has had and other countries that have had relatively free markets like Singapore and places like that, they're the richest, safest places in the world that everybody wants to live because they have the most free markets. Whether or not America is going to stay that way, I don't freaking know because at this point with a 50% GDP, government is 50% of GDP in America. I'm pretty sure that's the number. Somebody can maybe fact check me on that. Uh, we're sliding into socialism. I mean, America is socialist. Like we still have free market. So this it's this weird hybrid where like we still like embrace capitalism in some ways and then we regulate some things like based on political narrative and whatever. And it, it's all a freaking mess, really. It really is a mess. And whether this will remain this way, I don't I don't know. I, I mean, I know it won't remain this way because like the money printer itself, that's so far gone that it's going to eventually collapse and it's going to remove a lot of power for a lot of people. A lot of people are going to suffer and they're going to wake up and demand more from the politicians. They've been able to prop us up for so long. Uh, you know, basically since Nixon took us off the gold standard, when that comes to a head, when that comes to a reckoning, it's going to change a lot of things. I hope it changes things for the better, but a lot of people are going to suffer. A lot of people are going to be caught off guard and be unprepared. A lot of people that thought they were getting richer will actually end up not being so rich when we have hyperinflation and things like that. So for me, that's why, you know, I always tell everybody you need to buy Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the best thing you can do. It's a vote. It's insurance. You know, it's, in, it, it, it's, it's, the strongest, hardest money and asset you can have ever. It's the strongest, hardest money asset you can have. It's the apex property of the human species, as Michael Saylor says. So here's a few resources if you want to do some more research on this and really start to unlearn and get to the bottom of how to think for yourself, how to think from first principles, how to unlearn the dogma gunk that has been injected into your brain probably your whole life. What is Money Podcast episodes one through nine, the Saylor series? Sapiens, that's a book. Story of the Human Body by Daniel Lieberman, that's a book. Uh, the State, mm, is that The State? I think it's The State by Rothspar Rothspard. Rothspard. Uh, the Sovereign Individual, The Fourth Turning, Debt, The Creature of Jekyll, Dr. Jekyll Island, I forget the name of the book, but it's like it's like the, 
the creature of Jekyll Island or something like that. That's about the Fed, the creation of the Fed. And then WTF happened in 1971. It's either 1970 or 1971. You'll find that if you Google that. That talks about Nixon taking us off the gold standard and how since then we've had the greatest income disparity ever, ever. And it's still going on. And then I would say study fiat and inflation. Really, really hardcore because this is the most important thing in your life that you that applies to you daily. You, you know, you're in this game that you're playing, this fiat paradigm that you probably don't even know you're in. And it's the most important thing for your financial future, for your actual future, for your physical safety and wellness, especially if you're not prepared for potentially eating in the future. Same thing for your kids. If you don't understand this and you don't prepare yourself, swan, not swan, it's um, colin.coach slash swan. That's how you can prepare yourself. Start buying Bitcoin on an auto buy like dollar cost averaging schedule every single day is what I do. And then it takes the money in my bank account every week. I highly recommend you do that. If you don't understand this thing, you're going to be one of the ones that are going to understand when it's way too freaking late. And when you understand late, when it comes to inflation <laughs> or trying to get into Bitcoin, when everyone else is trying to get into Bitcoin, when you understand late, you will, I mean, the price you will pay, it's anybody's guess, but it's going to be very, 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 very high. It might even be enough to actually take you into poverty. Like I'm not being hyperbolic here or sensationalist or anything. That's the real risk here. You're operating in dollars that one day you might wake up are worth nothing or worth a fraction. And the next day they're worth even less. And you have no time to collect your thoughts and understand why this is happening. And what can I do about it? This is the type of thing that you want to plan early. You don't want to be like those in Florida where I grew up. Every time a hurricane came through, they're just sitting in the highway, either trying to evacuate with everyone else. And so nobody's evacuating. They're just standing there basically. Or they're trying to go to the store to get water and essentials when there's none left. You don't want to do that with inflation. It will happen probably slowly. It might take a few years for this to come to fruition, or it might even happen a little bit every year. But when it comes to a real big head where it's this massive just problem that we can no longer ignore, this Frankenstein that has to basically be put down, it's going to be a Godzilla that's going to come through and destroy everything, supply chains, our way of life. It's going to be like financial Armageddon is what it's going to be. Try going without electricity for a few days, without 911 for a few days, you know, without modern comforts and luxuries for a few days. And you very quickly realize it's a fight for survival. That's it for today's show. A little bit longer than usual, but this topic is just so important. Why you need to unlearn everything and start from the ground up. And at the very least, if you have some good ideas, if you have some good knowledge, especially of things like history or biographies you've read, whatever, go to the first principles, go down deep, remove the veneer of status quo, get rid of that and go underneath and start from the ground up. And then those things you already know that might be useful, you'll kind of lead your way up to them and then they'll connect. That's how you truly, truly think for yourself. But also it's how you actually take control of your destiny. Because for as long as you're thinking based on someone else's thinking or based on some narrative that they want you to think, you're forever beholden to whatever the risks are inherent in those bad ideas. And as I just explained with fiat and inflation, if you don't understand that game that you're playing, you didn't choose it, but you're playing it. If you don't understand that game, then when it really blows up, you're going to be hit with shrapnel. Hopefully the shrapnel doesn't kill you. Hopefully you survive, but it could. And I mean, literally figuratively, and I mean, figuratively and literally. That's it for today. Get on. That's it for today. Get on the Better Human newsletter over at Colin.coach and check out my new project, The Better Human Company over at betterhuman.world. I'll see you in the next one.